Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Seth with the Bearded Butchers. Alongside me, I have Scott. Today, we're going to do a podcast series. Um, this one's going to be on how to build a brand like we have with a couple million uh, followers across all of our platforms, an e-commerce website, something to sell your audience. We're just going to go through it. We're going to dive in. Um, it's going to be a multi-part series podcast. So if you're following along, there's going to be more. We're going to bring some of our team members in. We're going to talk about backend analytics. We're going to talk about SEO. We're going to talk about AdWords. We're going to talk about fulfillment. Um, we do have our own warehouse. We're going to talk about how all the shipping and logistics, um, labeling, all that stuff. We're going to dive into it. So without further ado, let's just get started. That's right. So this is all going to pretty much come out of the space between our ears. And, you know, when I say that, that just means that we've had um, a lot of great success, but it has not had anything to do with any sort of formal training, business plan, or formatted approach. Let's and just so, talk. Let's just talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that I have seven years of schooled education and i have five years of formal in in classroom education we went to a private uh church school growing up we were pulled from that school when dad first bought the business um the plan was to homeschool while we worked alongside our family um we ended up working more than getting schooled so that's just where we're at we learned from a lot of uh kind of the not to sound cliche, but the school of hard knocks. Yeah. So just to reaffirm, I finished five grades of what were very good fundamental. Um, we learned the basics. That's for sure. Because the, the school, Seth mentioned, it was, a, it was a privately run church school. The, the church we attended had their own school. Um, and, and there was, there was only three people in my class, which one was my twin sister. So it was a very... That's like 1700 stuff. It literally was. I'll sometimes mm -hmm. tell people it was like we we were um, we were part of those early early immigrant type entrepreneurs that that didn't really have much formal education, but um, what they learned was much better. So that's yeah. that's that's our foundation, if you will, that we build on was just a very good fundamental reading, writing, arithmetic, and then the rest of it was just learned on the fly. You know, and our father taught us, um, he's a real visionary, so we, uh, we learned um, and a lot. And we, uh, we grew up pretty broke. And you get to a certain point in your life, and you see, you know, these God-given talents, and you're like, well, let's take advantage of this. And then certain things fall into place, and you build on it, and you, can, you continue to grow and grow, so... Um, we're, yeah. gonna, we're just going to talk about how we how we did it and um, where we're at now. So the first thing I would say is probably don't try. Um, it's too difficult, and to get to break into the the where we're at now. If if you asked me if I wanted to return to square one. I don't know if I'd be willing to do that. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to do it over again. Um, you know, the long days, the long nights, the, a lot of heartache. Um, and 
a lot I know a lot of entrepreneurs their their goal and their intentions are to create something that they can get away from. It creates a lot of you freedom know, freedom they use the for word them. freedom a lot. We that's never been a goal for us no. because we feel like as we grow our brand and our business um we're always going to be involved in it. So and it seems like whenever we do try to duck out um things just don't elevate like they should if you know unless we're unless we're right there, and i'll so. say that like having a newborn child like mm-hmm. in a sense like you love the like i have i have some experience here but you you have a child you raise the child and you're just like oh, i would never want to go to diapers back to diapers again with with that particular child like it's not to say that you you know that's kind of how it is with a business like when you start and and for us the foundation that we talked about was the the business foundation that we have was kind of already laid for us with our dad um because and, and you we could look at this half, half glass half full glass half empty um we 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 spent the bulk of what would have been um you know youth and teen and then um you know early you know, early and mid and late twenties. So about two decades there, um, in our family butcher shop, that was a, a, a dream that kind of became a little bit of a nightmare that we turned into a reality that we live into now that we live in now, which is a dream, if that makes sense. So, there was a there was a lot of a lot of moving parts, but as far as like the media side of it, or what we you know what what you see on camera, or, or the platform sizes, those were um, those were grown over a five year period or so, and those came much later on. So we want to start with the very foundation of what is essentially our brand and that is the the butchering content and the spices and sauce that you see so and, and the idea behind the brand how it was built um you know who came up with the idea and how we took it yeah to market. we tell the brand story a lot whether you know we're on different platforms or whatever and this is more of you know if you were going to follow the same path what are some of the examples that we might have mistakes you can avoid that sort of thing and i know i kind of did the thing where i said you know if you're if you're if you're wanting you know you know to do it don't even and that really has to do with like um you know if you watch like mark cuban on shark tank when when a, a an entrepreneur says um that they have an exit strategy he said that's it for me like there is like there is no exit strategy that was that was it for us when we were young uh young men and we were pulled from school and we started in the butcher business that was to keep the business afloat um it was either that or or we didn't know where we would have to a place to live the bank was going to come take the house so there was there was no exit strategy and that's kind of that's kind of been how it's been all along so we've never had an alternative to the 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 status quo and i know some would say that like yeah you could do that this is america but for us it was like you know we had our dad who was gonna um you know kick our butt if we didn't perform 
And then just the concern about, you know, growing up with, uh, you know, on, on the farm, family doesn't lose the farm type thing. So we butchered hundreds and hundreds of animals for a service. And that was how we were able to, 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 to eke out a living, so to speak. It was um, intense work. It was dangerous work. It took a toll on you. It's something we still do. We just do it in a, in a different manner, but it takes a toll on you physically and mentally. And a, lot of, a lot of the mental part that came in was from the consumer. Um, when you're in the custom service type industry, you, you get scrutinized big time by the, by the actual person that's, that's picking up the product. Um, you know, just some people are just, they're super picky about the way they get things um, that they're going to eat. So we were definitely under a lot of pressure for a lot of years. And, and we did that with, as Seth mentioned being broke, but we also did it for no paycheck. Mm -hmm. So we were not able to be paid. There was no, there was no money available to pay us. Um, I think I first started earning a paycheck when I was around um, 19 years old, and I had been working full time um, for uh, seven years or so at that point. Um, and that really had to do with the fact that, you know, I needed a vehicle, I needed some form of, and, and when I say I wasn't earning a paycheck, I mean, you could get a few bucks here, a few bucks there, but they're just what it wasn't available. And I think that that is a it's a it's it's something that you have to be willing to do as any entrepreneur is can you work can you show up every day and can you work for no monetary reward like you understand that you're putting something in that may or may not ever pay off well, in the future and for you, us we weren't really part of the vision like we. It, Trust me, when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, I wasn't sitting there not getting a paycheck thinking when I'm 40, this will pay off. Mm -hmm. I was only doing it because my dad had his boot right up my, my rear, and I was never told that I had a different option. You were never given the option. No. But when you think about, you know, <clears throat> like musicians and, and things like that, there's a lot of success stories that, you know, where people came from literally living out of their car for years. Um, you hear of entrepreneurs, you know, sleeping on their friend's living room floor. I mean, that's just that's just what you do. It, it builds you into the person, and it gives you the tenacity and the grit and determination to to get to, you know, when you have the vision, to get you to that goal. Yeah. We were in no means in any sort of discovery mode. We had no brand. We were just a business that butchered animals as a service for the for for the surrounding community. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's yeah. what we did for now, very very minimal pay. Now, whether it's genetics, whether it's um, perhaps uh, many different factors that factor in. Uh, certainly, always the the we're, we're very much faith based. The grace of God, whatever the willpower to stick with it, we became much. Uh, much we became more and more proficient and the 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 requested um sort of re, uh, slaughterhouse in town so we we got to the point where we were booked out for a year well that became that came from dad uh teaching us we how to procedures how to, in place how to cross our t's and dot mm -hmm. our i's so 
as maybe some of you know, maybe some don't, our father was a drill sergeant with the, in the, uh, in the army, but he also, he served with the 173rd airborne. So military background, he kept us, you know, boots laced, kept us strapped pretty much our whole lives. So we, we, and then the skill sets built. Mm -hmm. So multi-species we see, you know, your mainstays, your bison, your beef, your pork, um, and then we also did lamb. We began to butcher ostrich just as a way to keep the bills paid. We did some emu. We've done um, tons of deer, elk, and tons then the deer, game. the white-tailed deer. And so. that's and that's you know where we're pretty much going to kick off the whole brand. And it pretty much came from our hunting background. That's our roots. The deer processing, uh, the beards. That's pretty much how this whole this whole brand kicked off. And it really was um, by the grace of God and I guess a perfect storm because as I mentioned, you know, feeling sort of stuck and having done the same activity for what had what was approaching like two decades, we're now in our um, mid to mid thirties, I guess, pretty much early thirties. And we had 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 a had a well established business. And, but but again, a service business comes with all the all the trappings of a service business. You never leave it. You have a schedule, all this type type stuff. And it, and, and I guess that's where the entrepreneurial spirit kicked in, the the desire for more freedom, the sink or swim, if you will. Um, it was the year was 2015, and we we without telling our dad, which he had sort of stepped back from the business. Um, he had, uh, we had a property, hunting property down in the southern part of the state, spent a lot of time down there. And, and so he wasn't in the day-to-day -day operations. We did not schedule any of the custom work for the, for the uh, upcoming calendar year. I was in charge of the schedule, um, and I just, I just kept the books open. So we got down. That's some scary stuff. So if you think about doing uh, the same type of work for the, previous 20 plus years um, where you had a schedule that was booked out sometimes a year and a half to two years in advance to literally, I mean, you talk about taking a leap of faith and taking a risk is to do, you know, something that you were used to doing this whole time and literally shutting it off. So we slaughtered every Wednesday uh, on Mondays and Tuesdays, trailers would show up from surrounding farms if their name was if they'd called ahead and their name was on a schedule they'd bring their trailer in on monday and tuesday unload the animals into our barn we averaged 12 to 15 cattle and 15 to 20 hogs every week on top and on top of that we did some 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 animals for our own store that we had a retail store and so the first three days of the week was uh, on Monday, you would cut animals that were hanging from the previous kills. Tuesday, you would do the same. Wednesday, you would slaughter a new, a new, basically new stock for the cooler. We did that 52 weeks out of the year. Didn't take a vacation. Um, you know, maybe I, my first vacation, an actual vacation, was my honeymoon in 2007 when I left for an entire week and it wasn't around the business, wasn't on the farm, didn't have to do anything. Um, I think Seth was the same. So we this this is now 2016. 
we get to the first slaughter day of January, the very first Wednesday, and we didn't have a slaughter um, schedule planned. And our dad didn't know that, and he wanted to know why we weren't slaughtering that day. And then that's when we told him that we, we didn't have any work scheduled. And when I say we didn't have any work scheduled, we had to keep slaughtering enough animals for our own retail store, but we intended to do that every other week. So we cut our um, slaughter schedule from every Wednesday down to every other Wednesday. That would still give us time to do enough for our store. And we had, we had no idea what the future was going to hold. I mean, because we were at the point in our business where we were, we were getting tired. Yeah. It had been a lot of years. So it was either um, this could fail. This could fail or we're going to make something of it. So we had two thing, two two, I guess two avenues to pedal the business forward. The one was our retail store, and the other one was this beer to butcher blend spice. Now the spice itself was already founded. That was something that Seth and I founded on top of the business that was already established. So we had the butcher business, we had the retail store, the spice was something that was a recipe that Seth had that he hand blended. And we had knowledge of how you put different spices together to make the sausages and the bratwurst and things like this. But this was an actual topical rub, a barbecue rub. We had no name for it, but it was something that he had a, a recipe that he, that he came up with, blended the spices together in bulk, and then we would put them on products for our retail store. So... Well, we, we we first so we had this this little plastic container and I didn't mean to interrupt you but we had this little plastic container that we used to put our sliced beef liver in when we did custom processing and I would take the original spice which is the um, you know still our our staple rub that that kind of kicked everything off uh, we would put this in the the liver container snap a lid on it and people would come in and, and we would just give it to them. Well, after the second or third time of them coming in and saying, hey, you know, can I buy that? We knew we had something that we needed to take to market. Kind of the the bottle and sell it type mm -hmm. um, scenario. And we knew now that we had, I guess, newfound time or that freedom that you seek as an entrepreneur, we knew we could focus on improving the offering that we had because we really only had two ways to reach our consumer whereas we had been in the service industry and now we're no longer doing that we have to have the consumer walk in the door and buy the product or we have to have a product that we can throw over the wall so we can reach the consumer with the product and we began the process of building a brand a brand in the sense where you wouldn't hear about our retail store unless you lived in the local community. But now we wanted something that you could actually hear about. And when you heard about it, you could purchase from it. So maybe you have a product that you have in mind. I mean, I guess in a sense, this was an invention. Um, but it was, it's a spice. It's a, basically an all-purpose seasoning salt. This is not necessarily an invention. It's just, it's just a, literally a brand. Now, at the time, and this has sort of kind of changed, you know, this would have qualified probably as like a white label, but it was proprietary. It was our own spice, and we were doing a ton of the input. 
input in the sense where we actually hand bottled it, hand labeled it. And by ton, you mean all of it. We were literally doing all I of do it. mean all of it. And so everything from the design of the label, the logos, the, the UPC codes, um, your nutritional facts, all this stuff, it's like, where do you start? Well, we had time, newfound time. So we, we got to, we, we started the process, and a lot of this just had to do with, you know, me personally being like a little bit more of, of, you know, a nerd or a geek or using the internet to just try to learn more about this stuff. Now, when we get down into more of the business workings, you'll find that um, I do more of the administrative stuff. Seth does a lot of our social media. We had the spice. We didn't have a name for it, but we were we were kind of doing the beard. Uh, we were on the beard bandwagon, if you will. We had done a little fun um, uh, beard growing competition a couple of years before when we first um, came up with the spice, and we. Well, I guess I misspoke because we in 2016, we had the spice and we had the name for it. We just hadn't built a brand around it. Mm -hmm. So we had this beard of butcher blend spice. We were putting on our store, products for the store, but we had just one flavor, which was original. So it was just called beard of butcher blend seasoning. Wasn't even called original. It was just beard of butcher blend seasoning. That's what we had. We sold it only through our store. We literally went out one afternoon to some of the local grocery chains cold called them to try to get the spice on the shelf and then we built uh we got around building a website i did that let's talk a little bit about the capital that it took um and what we did um with profits from the business how we rolled those back in the trademarking that goes into it um you know the legal the, all the legal fees that, that it takes to get a brand on a, you know, basically to the level we're at where we're, where we're shipping the stuff around the world. That's really interesting. You brought that up because at the time we had chopped off a lot of business revenue when we did the service, did away with the service, the custom processing. We couldn't have picked a worse time no. to launch a, a, a brand that we wanted to, to, you know, ship around the world when we had no money. We didn't have the money really to market, um, and we never, so, we never took a single dime from an investor no. to this day. We're still 100% family owned. So to come up with the capital, I mean, we had our, we have our retail store, white feather meats. That's, that's, that's bringing in income. And frankly, at the beginning of that year, we didn't know if we would have enough money to pay bills. You know, 2016, I've got, um, four, four kids, something like that. At the time, you know, dangerous proposition. And, uh, but it also was a swift kick in the pants to really get out there and pedal it. But we, yeah, capital is a problem. We, in, in, you just learn, you're just dealing as you, as you scale up in business, you're just dealing with different sets of numbers. The risk is always the same. It's like you have, and we're going to get to some of that later in our topics discussion about, you know, what risks we've taken on, stories about risks that we've had from other, other individuals. So we didn't have enough money to really launch a brand. But what we did have was um, a product, um, a really well-valued product. The customers really liked it. And we found that we could sell it kind of wherever we would, where whoever's hands we would get it into. 
So that's when the website came along, which I literally just, you know, you go, you go looking for how to build websites, free websites, whatever. And we learned that for the first time in our lives, we had a product, um, which was our seasoning that did not require refrigeration yeah. like we were used to in the, in the butcher industry. And, um, we could sell something even when our doors at the butcher shop were locked. So this was something that, uh, you know, our website was singing 24 seven and we knew that if we figured out a way to make money while we slept, there was a whole new ball game for us. Yeah. So I started on the website and Seth pretty much started on the social media, which just meant, you know, down, you know, you've got Facebook, Instagram, um, of course, YouTube, but which I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the fact that uh, we were able to pull this off because there was two of us. If it you does, were, if you were a help. single single person team, whether you're male or female, I know there's plenty of people out there that have done it, but it would be extremely difficult to even get something like this started by yourself. Yeah, and we don't always get along, but it's enough yin and yang that I think it, it really works. Um, so he's going to work on social media. I'm going to work on administrative stuff, learning all the stuff that has to do with, with products. And we hadn't, we hadn't got to the trademarks or anything like that. Cause we really weren't in the public view. So Gary Vaynerchuk was somebody that had said, you know, if you have a smartphone uh, device or whatever, you have these free platforms, don't create the com content, just document what you're doing. And if there's an audience for it, they'll pick it up. They'll love it. So we had some smartphones. We start, filming and we did a tour of our store in march of 2016 just literally like just walk people from from the front to the back and we put it on a youtube channel which you know of course as you know everything starts with one follower one like one subscriber i don't think it had anybody really on it for those first six or eight months mm -hmm. we didn't have a plan we weren't going to put out a video a day we had no plan whatsoever it was just something we did and it just sat there in October of that year when deer season came along we had our spice now into a local outfit or store and we had offered to do a demonstration of how we could how you could cut up a deer now this is a point taken uh, that that you should take basically we they offered to sell our spices and we said we can bring value by coming out and literally for free sh putting on a demonstration for the audience on how to butcher a deer. So that's always a, a point that you could take away is, you know, how can I, how can I add value? And early on, you're going to have to do that for free. So you're going to have to do a lot of stuff for free. Yeah. You have to do a lot of stuff that you don't particularly care to do. Whether it's, um, a lot of, whether it's your free time, you're not getting paid for it. Um, it's just going to require a, a lot. Yeah, like singing to empty bars if you're a, a, a music artist. You know, we, we, were, we weren't even in discovery mode, but we had, nope. we had some uh, platforms open waiting for the content. Well, that particular demonstration got canceled. Uh, they pulled the rug out from underneath of us. Uh, there was some concern. It was a warmer weekend. There was also concern about public reception. Um, so they said, no, we don't want you to come do this. So in, in 
Instead, we decided to do it with um, a smartphone just right there in our shop. That was literally the video that pretty much launched our brand because it was uh, Facebook Live. It was one take. We didn't have audio figured out. We just figured we would turn on a phone. And I said, hey, I'm Scott Perkins, Seth Perkins. He's, Seth's going to show us how to cut up a deer. We didn't hold the phone in the right um Form, or we had it in vertical mode instead of horizontal. And Which that video is still on YouTube to this day if you want to go check it out. Well, it was on Facebook first. It was on Facebook first. And Seth came to me. That was in October. It was a, it was a month or so later. And he's like, man, have you seen, you know, that's got like 500,000 views or whatever. And I was like, oh, no way or whatever. He took it then and put it on YouTube, downloaded it off Facebook, put it on YouTube, terrible quality. And I did the same thing on YouTube. We, we didn't need to be told twice. We, so, so mind you, we're now have gone through the bulk of the year. We're still in business. We're selling enough to pay bills, you know, definitely not out of the woods, but we're, we're, we've got a paycheck. Um, still, like I said, no, no, no capital to put up in the sense of like, you know, I think when we first started with our spice, we, you know, we could, I could buy a hundred pounds of bulk at a time to just get the ball rolling and like to, to, to think back at like how limiting that, that is, you know, pretty incredible, but it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, you're pretty nervous too, because you're going to make this investment. Even then it was a small investment, mm -hmm. but you have to start thinking about, is this product going to sell? Yeah. So you have a hundred pounds of spice, you have 500 pounds of spice, you have a thousand pounds of spice. And as it keeps continuing to build, all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, five hundred dollars to five thousand to twenty five thousand to two hundred fifty thousand. Like those are big increments that when you make that purchase, you own it. So you have to get rid of the product. So that's just a, the, there again. That's another big leap of faith. And we had so throughout the course of that year, we decided to to expand the flavors. Mm -hmm. um, we had just our original seasoning. So we have, and we were trying to tell a story. Like sure. that was part of telling the story yeah. through our brand of who we were. And the way we told that story was by creating a spice blend for every one of the butchers inside the business, which was dad, um, our older brother, Sean, myself and Scott. So that's where the four uh, flavors of seasoning so, came up, came so, about. So, so while we weren't able to go do the cutting demonstration, we had booked ourselves for a couple of local, I mean, I literally remember going down to the Wayne County music ribbon, uh, Wayne County Ribbon Music Festival with a $500 check because that's what the exhibitor fee was. Mm -hmm. And it felt like that was throwing money off of a bridge. And we signed up for it and we went down there that weekend and we took a uh, bunch of chicken thighs and we chopped them up, put them in crock pots. And I remember saying original chipotle cajun and hot you say you know originals mild goes on everything chipotle's cool and smoky cajun's medium tiered multi-peppery heat hot's whole mouth heat blah blah blah. we went through you know drunk people coming up hollering but we we sold our spices so we did that at, at places like that to gain that traction we held events at our store our retail store was expanding in the sense we weren't um, we were finding a need to, to, we had more time so we could put more products out. 
uh, more consistency. So we, we were improving sales there. So we're, we're kind of getting to the end of 2016. Um, but again, you know, we had no, so to speak, um, real traction. We mm -hmm. were just in the very, very early beginning. I mean, this is when, you know, your, your, your platforms are so small that like, like I said, you're kind of singing to an empty bar. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we were finding is that our audience really appreciated what we had, to, to show them or to say, and we're, we're going to save some of the analytics and, and some of the stuff for the next podcast that we go on down the road, because what we learned is that as the landscape that we're in now, you know, the, we were in a, in a, a little different climate then, um, as far as creating a, a niche product and getting it to market. Um, we were probably in the golden era of that. We also learned that, um, butchering content on Google, there didn't really exist. So when we launched our brand, the doors uh, were wide open. And when we came through, uh, Google loved what we were producing and pretty much put us right at the top. Yeah, and and so that that's kind of, that's that's for our next series because what it, what happens is is you have you have larger brands that um, that I mean, or even if you think about like, I'll just paint with a broad brush coca-cola for example but they didn't launch through the internet or or anything like that didn't but they had have it. they probably had an avenue of their time that they mm -hmm. used um i think i remember once that heinz ketchup exploded because the railroad was new and he had access to nationwide distribution so like that's where we took advantage of a scenario where we broke into YouTube with butchering content when it was cold open. Um, perhaps it was a, a lucky swing. But what we do want to drill down is some of the fundamental entrepreneurial, so to speak, things that don't change no matter what your product is, what your environment is. Um, and these these are timeless because we face the um, the challenges, the risks that other entrepreneurs face, and then you see it as a as a cycle inside your own growth pattern. Um, and what that really boils down to is how do you recognize um, whether it's through you know intuition, some would call it gut feeling, some call it you know. God speaking to you, whatever. How do you recognize what that messaging is, and then how do you, how do you implement it? And I think that has had a lot to do with the success of our brand or any brand because there's certain questions that you have to ask because they're going to they're going to come up in you know, over the course of time, and that's you know. One of the things Seth already pointed out is that that we have the the partnership um, working as a team has helped us get to the point where we're at. I hundred percent agree with that. Working with family is a privilege. It's not easy. Um, that's not to say working with Seth is hard or my my or my brother Sean or our parents or anything like that. 
But there were times where our business could have or should have failed because of the stress, whether it was financial or, you know, he's got a new kid. She, you know, we lost a sister through cancer at, at, in 2001 when, you know, when, when the business was, was, was very tough. So there's, there's not having any money is pretty stressful it, and that'll it, test your, it's, that'll test it's, the limits right there. Right. So I think what you have and not to sound cliche, but you do have some of that diamond forming where it's like, you know, um, was it, what does it kill you makes you stronger, but you, mm -hmm. you're going to have to have a mindset for this. And I think some of that mindset was created in a little bit of a, a different laboratory. When we, when we were pulled from school, we had a drill sergeant father, and we were given no other choice. I think that started to form that mindset. But our mindset has um, evolved into, I would consider, more of a true entrepreneurial mindset. And, and, and these, are, these are some of the constants that you find. Um, we find it in some of our mentors. We find it in um, like brands. And it's, it's a... You often hear it referred to as passion, but it's a, it's a, you're unwilling to quit. You will not quit. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we were able to break through into getting past the empty bars and stuff like that. Because what happens is you become so calloused that you, are the risks and things like that never change or never really get easier, but you just have this tenacity and that, that extends from the, like even as, as, as simple as your morning routine or starting out your day, you make a decision at, you know, 9 PM or whatever on how your next day, you know, and obviously with kids and things like that, you don't know. We've you don't know what your night's going to be like, but we've we've been through all of that. Like anybody that tells you like like makes an excuse on why they can't be at work or be at their business, we we don't want to hear that because we went without vacations. We went with teeth that couldn't you couldn't go to the dentist. I had a gallbladder shut down on me and worked for a full 36 hours and drove myself to the hospital after we cut hogs all day and I couldn't sleep that night and literally drove to myself to the hospital and left my truck there because it was like, I got to get this work done and nobody else. I mean, so anyway, the if, and Seth has we, plenty of examples like that. But if like, we hear someone say that they don't have time to work out, we're going to call hogwash because that just means you got to get up early. I'm too tired. And, and, and again, some of this could be a genetic predisposition or just a little bit crazy. It could be, but I also think that these are behaviors that are, they're learned behaviors. They're behaviors that you can build upon and they start with, you know, morning routine for us that starts out at four 30, typically in the morning. Cause typically you win the morning, you win the day. We need to be sharp. We need to be present. So you, you know you're going to find that most most of the time nine to nine to f uh, five a.m. is when I have my do not disturb set on my phone. So like that's 
that's when I sleep, but typically it's it's about, you know, 9.30 to 10 till 4.30 in the morning. We've, we've adapted that routine. We get up. We try to take care of ourselves physically because we have a physically demanding job. We have to lift 275-pound carcasses. We have to skin cattle. We have to knock buffalo. So for us, the best uh, way to do that is to work out. And like well, people now, might now think, you well, gotta now you gotta look good on camera too. <laughs> so we we balance. There's a balance. You have to strike a balance there. And then you know we're we're very diligent about um, the the business welfare. Mm-hmm. And so as we've become you know, we've gotten further, we've never abandoned any of those early uh, scary moments, so to speak, where you're, where you're, we, we've seen, I'll finish my sentence, where you're willing to take money from the business and spend it um, in, and we, we just, we're not there. And we continue to, to, to put the money back into the business because we want to see the business grow. But sometimes we see people that, you know, it's not about what vehicles we drive. We don't have boats. We don't have, um, you know, fancy watches, shoes, clothing. Um, we always say faith, family, food. So it's really about a, a place to, to hang your hat at night. Is your family well cared for? And, and family is a, is a, is a paramount um, activity and and priority for us will say, you know, no success is worth a failure at home. So a big time priority. There are some really tough things involved in the grind. And, you know, those are questions that you have to ask yourself. You know, I think building a business while you raise a family makes it probably twice as hard. We've had entrepreneurs that told us that their businesses would be bigger without a family. We've had entrepreneurs that have had not no children and have built businesses. That's that's a balance that you're going to have to figure out. And for some people, it just may not be in the cards. They might just be better punching the clock, and you go out and you you get you check the boxes, and then you come home, and then you completely dedicate to your to your surroundings, your family, because that's one thing we can't do. Well, not only do we have the, you know, the media, the e-commerce and all that stuff with the brand, but we also have the brick and mortar too. So you have, you know, the alert on your phone that you're going to have a, a cooler compressor that went down. You're, you're running in at 10 PM, things like that too. So you can never, you never shut it off. Yep. And so in our next podcast, we're going to get into um, a little bit more of the mechanics and behind the scenes. But I, I want you to ask yourself the question, um, if you're considering a niche brand, what do you have a product? Do you have a product that you can bring to the customer? Or do you have uh, expertise? Because we've kind of done both. We've offered the, the butchering DIY and we have a product to sell. And we talk about stacking trends. That's what you get into stacking trends. So barbecuing is a trend, butchering is a trend, uh, hunting is a trend. You start stacking trends. That's where you can you can uh, really gain traction. Um, you have you have to have a product that's good. You have to have authentic content to produce. You have to be watchable. You have to be likable. 
Um, not a phony, not a fake. What you see on camera from us is what you're going to get behind the scenes. Um, and I think that when people see that, they believe in you and they want to support you when they buy your product. They like it. They return. They tell their family and friends. Yeah. And, and sometimes you find yourself on a path, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, perhaps it's a path that's similar to what our path was. You know, we've resounded with a few people that have said, you know, I'm in the same position. Or I've been in the same position. We always find uh, the entrepreneurial spirit runs in. And, you know, when I say this, you know, we've had some, some high level contacts um, with entrepreneurs. We actually have um, the, the we, we've had a close personal contact with Jimmy John who founded the Jimmy John brand and sold it for well over $2 billion. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a contact with a couple other billion-dollar brands. And they all say the same thing. You know, the, 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 the risks the, the versus reward. Um, some are second generation, so they, they maybe had the similar situation to us. A lot of them did, you know, it's pretty uncommon not to go to high school. Some didn't did or didn't go to college and start their careers then. Pretty unusual how our careers began. But there's always that common thread about the founder spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit, the 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 dedication. Can you maintain right relationships outside of 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 work? But we don't we don't drink, we don't go to the bars, we don't we we actually don't socialize enough for the networking piece of our brand, likely. Um, and, and, and our social media side has, has continued to grow and we struggle to um, focus on that probably as much as we can, which is, which is odd. But that, those are all sort of the, the, what, whether that's your personal, um, the thing that you have trouble with is, is giving up this piece of the business or focusing on this piece, you know, it could, it's just different things for different people. But I think the, the, the grind, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth it for us now? Well, of course it is, but you know, have, have you counted the cost if you're considering getting into a niche brand? And then and one of the big things that we see now is that people that are into um, similar, the similar market as us is they want to um, imitate copycat ride your shirt tails do the exact same thing as we do and um we've we've had to send some cease and desist and that's not something we like well, to do but we we are going to protect our brand because it's trademarked it's registered um and we've worked too hard for it so it's just something we're going to do it, it is unfortunate that as you climb the ladder everybody applauds and they said go up the ladder it's great to see you guys on the way up but at some point they then try to knock you down the ladder. And I think we've kind of already got past the let's it. And this is not for everybody, but you start to see that you have to have legal counsel. You have to have trademarks. Mm -hmm. You have to have certain things in place. And then you get these bizarre out of nowhere. You never expected that guy to be the one that gave you the kind of hassle, whether it's from, community pressure, you know, we go through different, um, different things just with um, regard to government um, regulations, policies, different local county, federal, state government, we deal with them all. It's just weird as you get and it even 
you would think that like it would give you opportunity to open doors with your with your brand. I'm a bearded butcher or whatever. It actually works in opposite effect that makes now. It worse. Um, so th- th- those th- 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 that's accounting the cost thing. You know, like what we've we've been told by a close friend. You know, well, you asked for it, now deal with it. That's if we're ever you know sort of complaining about um, you know whatever. Um, but that's that's the flip side of it is you know what if you did get you know if it's like a dog chasing a car what if it catches it like so our entry into the to the brand was was certainly unusual it's unrecommended that anybody try that exact same path it's possible that there's somebody on a similar path it has worked it has However, worked but in the future podcast we want to bring in some of our team members that we 100% know and believe that have helped elevate our brand to where it's at today. Because without those key components, we would be much smaller um, and at some point may have given up. I 100% agree with that. And and to round out the podcast, I want to just finish by saying that while we look at the beginning of the journey and all the risks that were involved there, and when we talk about, you know, for the lack of a better way of saying it, not having a pot to piss in. What happens as you grow through the different channels, and just to give you a snapshot of where we're at now, is the risks, they just get greater and greater. In fact, we had a story yesterday from a local businessman that um, it, it was actually happened to be in a, in a, in a meeting where he is no longer a business owner. He told us that he was in a business with 100 plus employees. And as his, uh, he extended his, his risks, he got to a point where um, because of COVID and there's always these outside pressures that we deal with. For us, we talk a lot about, you know, of course you have comp, you know, competition we're pretty big in the butchering scene, but then there's the, you know, would the administration, um, uh, the federal government, you know, outlaw meat like they outlawed alcohol. You know, those are just certain things that, you know, outside pressures. But in his case, it was it was COVID and affected his business to the point where he had personally guaranteed his business debt and he couldn't pay his debt. His home was paid for. And he was able to keep his home, but it now has a mortgage on it. And this is somebody that had, you know, would have reached a point where he, you know, you'd think be pretty stable. Mm -hmm. So I think those are always something, you know, that keep you on your toes because that risk that you take, that risk that you carry as you try to keep up with your growth pattern and when I say this, you know, going from, you know, a business that was well under a million dollars when we began in the butcher business to a multi-million dollar business, that that would you would think or perhaps in somebody else's lifestyle, they might go for the sports cars or the second home, the vacation homes and and things like that, or, or you know, in there's just there's a constant set of decision making that comes along with it. 
for us, it's been a lot about just rolling back into the business. We've done um, some incredible things with our brick and mortar shop to make it a place that we love to be at, to work in. We've added a beautiful, you know, new storefront, um, things that we could not have dreamed about without having that capital that All came that. from, because it was interesting because it was like parent raised the child and then the child started taking care of the parent because as that seasoning sauce and media business has grown, we've been able to turn that, that capital and those profits back into our brick and mortar being a, a beautiful store and then adding pieces of equipment that have automated and made life a lot easier for us. A lot of those things that kept you up at night, like the, you know, the bad coolers, the units, the compressors and things like that, we've upgraded all of those. So mm -hmm. um, as a result of our success with our Bearded Butcher brand that has, we have been able to turn that, like Scott said, into our brick and mortar, which has made our lives a lot simpler there. Better equipment, just all around a, a better daily experience. So... We kind of left off the podcast right about 2016 when the brand was really starting to get a little bit more of that discovery mode. We're going to take the um, next portion of this and talk a lot more about how we went from just Seth and myself pretty much carrying, shouldering the entire load. And by saying that we sh you know, carried and shouldered the entire load, um, we, we came into the store and butchered every day. And of course that was our paycheck, if you will. And then when we weren't butchering, Seth was on social media, taking pictures, posting content. Of course I do some social media in limited capacity. I've eaten a lot of cold food over the years because the all camera of that, eats first. All the camera eats first because all of that content, when you cook it and then you take the time to take pictures, not only do you eat cold food, but your family sits there and waits for you. So that's just another part. Um, it's a challenge. And while he was doing all that, I had dug into the numbers and the accounting and the legal and the trademarks and how do we... Um, learn how to do different things with uh whether it's business insurances or 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 lending or or anything along those lines um so that we could just we just started basically wetting the axe if you will um how we can how we can take more of this market as we started to gain some traction yep. and and um and and while we were doing that just the two of us isn't that a song just the just the two yeah, yeah um we had some uh some fantastic mentor advice and then we added some uh great assets to the brand that began as contractors and are now part of the brand and we also it's, it's it really helped us break into a new a new level we also had and we we gained a lot of fantastic relationships through building the brand mm -hmm. and i'm a, i'm a big believer of the fact that if we had not gotten those relationships we wouldn't be where we're at today because um, a lot of doors open because of certain people that we've met 
and we'll get to talk about those um, in the future podcasts as well. Yep. So next podcast, we're going to talk more about the risks never really go away, but there are ways to mitigate the risk, to work with other like-minded people that perhaps share your vision or can otherwise enhance your vision, and how you can just make it that next step with a brand. We're bringing in, um, in the future, we're going to bring in uh, Spencer, who does all of our media, editing, etc. He's the one, he's the... Uh, the guru who took our YouTube channel to the next level um, with our video content. We're going to bring in Phil, who does all of our SEO, our back end. We're going to talk about how we met Phil um, and how our platform has grown since knowing Phil. And he's been working in and, and outside of our brand. Um, and then we're going to bring in possibly a couple more folks that have a lot to do with our inventory, inventory control, our warehousing and etc so and we hope to help you avoid some of the snake oil marketing guru type pitches that you will likely hear as your brand grows how to recognize those and how to avoid making any pitfalls that are out there that's right appreciate everybody listening um this is the the first podcast um one of a series on how to build a brand like ours with the subscriber base like we have in an e-commerce business that sells a product all over the world. Thanks so, for watching. Till next time and listening. See ya.